It's the big night. Planning and preparation will help make a good party. But what else makes a good party? It's the skill of the hosts and the skill of the guests in making the party fun for everyone. One, four. I can see you four, three again. One, three. Uh, oh, no. Oh, no. And then, at just the right moment... Is anybody hungry? Everything's ready. Is anybody hungry? Well, a little snack certainly is pleasant about this time of evening. And while everyone finishes eating, a little more spontaneous, unplanned fun. Oh, do you play, Steve? Does he well, play? Show him, Steve. Oh. 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 these things help to make a good party. A party that's fun for all. All right, that's what I call, I think it's called a rager. Is that what that is called? A rager? Yeah. Doyle, I saw you in there, by the way. That was fun. That was cool, man. You guys used to get down. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we're starting a new series, and it is called I Am the Life of the party. And we're going to be giving you the official guide to how to party like Jesus for the next few weeks. And so if you think you know how to party, just wait. We're going to talk about what that looks like. But first, we're going to be giving back to God. Uh, and, uh, and so if you are visiting with us, don't feel obligated to give. This is part of our worship experience and, and kind of what we're, we're called to do as a church family. Um, okay, so I am not much of a, a, a party person. In fact, I'm pretty introverted. I'm a bit of a wallflower when I go to parties. And, uh, and so I don't, I don't uh, throw many parties. In fact, I probably have only thrown a couple in my life, and I think only one has really been successful, and so I'll tell you about that one. Uh, it, was my, it was my engagement surprise party. So here's what happened. It's, it's been over 10 years now, which is kind of crazy. Uh, my wife and I had been dating, and, and it was getting pretty serious. We were about two and a half years into the relationship, and so we both were pretty confident where this was heading. And and so I planned this surprise engagement. We, uh, we have a campus down in Seal Beach, and if you, you're not aware, um, they do a service down there as well. And uh, it's where Seacoast started. And so I decided I was going to do it there. And so I made up this, idea, this excuse that we were going to go to dinner with some of our friends down in Seal Beach. It was going to be a nice dinner. And so she got dressed up, and we started to head down there. And I said, oh, you know what? I need to stop by our Seal Beach campus and grab something. Uh, so let me just make a quick uh, pit stop. And so I, I pull over, and I'm like two blocks away from the church. And she's just going, why are you parked so far away? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I didn't know there's parking that close. Oh, sorry. And, and so we walk two blocks to get to the front door of this little chapel. And it's a beautiful little church, French glass doors. And as soon as we arrive at the front door, she looks inside and she realizes what's going on because there is a path that is lit by candles and it's got rose petals and it leads up to this beautiful white gazebo that's in the middle of this little church. And it's got a table and dinner for two. It's pictures of us playing on the screen in the background in our favorite music on the sound system. And she's just like, oh, it's happening. And so we walk up to this gazebo and, and there's a, I think the best way I could describe it, it's kind of like a chandelier bouquet of flowers. And it's got a bow on it and then it's got ribbon coming down from the bow. And this, guys, oh, if you are not married yet, this is a freebie for you because I pulled the ribbon and the ring slid down and fell into my hand. You're ready to say yes right now. And so I get down on one knee, I ask her, will you marry me? She's like, oh, of course. 
this. And, and so we sit down, and I've got our, uh, our favorite food sitting on the table. And she's like, I'm so nervous. I can't even eat. I'm like, I can. Give me it. And <laughs> so we sit there, and we have dinner. And she's like, I'm so excited to tell my friends and my mom. I need to call her and all this. I said, you know what? I've got one more surprise for you. And so I get her up and I take her to, there's a back kind of meeting room there, and as we walk in, all of our friends and family are there, and they're there to celebrate the engagement and have dessert and all that kind of stuff, and, and, uh, and it, was, it was a huge, it was like a win, you know? I was just like, yes! And then here we are 10 years later, I can't remember Valentine's Day uh, for the life of me, and it's, it, our lives are the best, but I do have a picture of uh, that night, uh, there it is, right there? Yeah. I know, I'm kind of like a fine wine, aren't I? better with age. Anyway, so that was my one successful, uh, my one successful party that I have, have thrown. And if we look at the, if we look at the scriptures, um, we see that Jesus really had quite a flourishing social life, that he went to a lot of parties. Uh, he was pretty much the life of the party. And so I want to look at in the coming weeks, and then today I'm going to look at one uh, passage in particular about what it looked like uh, to party like Jesus. And I want to ask a series of questions. This is, this is at least for me how I read the Bible is I ask questions to it and then I try to figure out the answers. And so I'm going to ask simple questions like the who, what, when, and where of this passage. And so what happens here is uh, it's in Matthew 9. And in Matthew 9, and I'll go ahead and read it, it says, as Jesus went from there. And so in, right before this, Jesus just ha- uh, healed a paralyzed man and he's going on to his next de- uh, uh, destination. It says this, and he saw a man named Matthew. Now, here's what's really cool about this, if you're not a Bible person. It says, he saw a man named Matthew. If you look up in the corner, guess who wrote this? Matthew. He's writing his own story, right? So he says, this is how I ended up meeting Jesus. I was sitting at a tax collector's booth, and he came up and he said, follow me. And so I got up and I followed him. Continues on. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so here's the first question that I want to ask of this, uh, of this passage. And if you were here for the last series, you probably see this coming, is start with why. Why was Jesus always at these these dinners, these weddings, these different parties. See, in fact, um, we see all throughout Scripture that Jesus, um, he liked to mix it up with all different kinds of people, go to different kinds of parties. In fact, I think he probably threw the best surprise party of all time, the resurrection, where he's like, I'm dead, I'm alive. Boom, surprise. Beat that, right? That is quite a surprise party. And so uh, the question I have is, um, Jesus, why are you always socializing? Why are you always mixing up with so many people? And he actually answers that question because the Pharisees ask the why question. Well, he says this. He says, excuse me, they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They want to know why as well. Why are you mixing it up with these people? And in fact, um, they weren't actually curious. They were more making an accusation because what they were saying was, Jesus, you're supposed to be a rabbi. You're supposed to be uh, God-fearing. You're supposed to be a Bible-believing. You're supposed to be somebody who pursues righteousness. And then here you are hanging out with these misfits. What's your problem? What's your deal? And Jesus answers this. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He's going, you know what? You see these people in here? They're corrupt. 
They're a mess. They're degenerates. These people are sick. And I got to imagine Matthew's going, Jesus, I can hear you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he's like, yeah, Matthew, you're a tax collector. I know what she does for a living. You guys are a bit of a mess, okay? Oh, all right, all right. And here's the truth. Jesus says he came for the sick. And when we think of the sick, we think of kind of these people who are on the, uh, on the, the fringe of society. But if we're going to be honest, we got to say that we probably have some sickness as well. If you're not a church person, you're not a Bible person, you don't even know if you believe in God, I can guarantee that you've got your, some sickness in your life because here's what I know about you, is you have a certain set of rules, things that you believe you should and should not do. Whether you believe in the Bible, whether you believe in God, and yet you don't do the very things that you know you should do. And you say it like this, you say, well, and this is usually when we mess up, you know, nobody's perfect. What you're really saying is nobody's healthy. Okay, I'm a little bit sick. Okay, yeah, I may have some sickness. And Jesus comes along and he says, I am here for those who are willing to look into the mirror and go, there's something not quite right with me. Maybe I know what it is. Maybe I don't know what it is, but I am definitely in need of some help. I think a lot of our uh, problem, especially in this specific context, is many people believe um, that because they have a you know, good family and a good job and they haven't broken any major laws and they haven't been to prison, and that they're pretty good people. And so we don't really consider ourselves sick. Somehow we have convinced ourselves that because we are not as sick as the next person, that makes us healthy. But that's kind of like saying, well, I have stage three cancer, but you have stage four cancer. Therefore, I am healthy and don't need any help. Well, that doesn't make any sense. No, you're just, you're sick. You're just a little bit less sick than I am. But we're both, we both need help. We both need healing. And some of us are on the opposite end of the spectrum in which we, we know that we are sick. You don't have to convince us because we're in the midst of a messy divorce. We've got broken relationships. We have a hangover from last night. We know that we have a mess on our hands, that we are a mess. And here's the good news. Is being messed up, the Bible calls us sinners, does not disqualify you from knowing Jesus. In fact, we're going to see next that that is a prerequisite for having a relationship with Jesus is you have to be a messed up person. He even says it. He says, I came for the sinner, not those who believe that they are righteous. So first question was, why did Jesus party, hang out with so many people, have such a great social life? Because he came to bring hope and healing to the sick. So the next question of who did Jesus hang out with is pretty obvious. He came out with those who knew that they were sick and they were needing of help. Now the Pharisees, these were like kind of the religious leaders, um, they did not believe that they had an issue. They knew the Bible really well. They knew all the rules. They followed all the rules. And so when they thought about people who are morally and spiritually sick, they said, that does not apply to me. And so I don't need any healing. I don't need any help. I don't need to come to the doctor. See, we go to the doctor when we know we are sick. We know that we need help and we know that we can't fix it. And that's why Jesus says that he is the great physician, that he is the one that has come to heal. See, the people who think that They are healthy. And by the way, just thinking that you're healthy or being in denial about your health does not actually make you healthy. It just keeps you from coming to the doctor. So um, guys, I don't know if this is true of you, but it is definitely true of me. And I feel like it's more true of guys than girls. Is there is something within us that just says, walk it off. 
right? There's this pride within us that says, oh, I can tough it out. I can walk it off. I'm going to be fine. It's not a big deal. Like I, I literally a year ago tore my ACL and it took me three months to just visit the doctor and my friend had to make me the appointment because I'm like, it's fine. Walk it off. It'll fix itself. Right? I, uh, in high school, I rode motocross, and I, I, it's a different story for another day, but I broke my thumb off, and um, it was kind of just hanging there. It took me three days to go to the emergency room. Why? Well, prom's the next day, and I got a busy schedule. I got a lot of stuff I need to do, so let's wrap it up, and we'll deal with it on Monday. Right? That, that just, just, I don't know if that's a guy thing. It's an area. It's a pride thing. I don't know what it is, but there's something within us that just does not want to admit that we're sick, that we need help, that we need some kind of healing. I think that's what's true of the Pharisees, is there's this pride within them that says, I don't need you, Jesus. I don't need your help. I've got it all figured out myself. Good news is that Jesus came for the tax collector, the sinner, and his disciples. So you think about who Jesus ate with, specifically in this, uh, at this dinner. And it was quite a, uh, quite a spectrum of people that he was hanging out with at that dinner. So think about it. He's got the disciples. And the disciples at that point were uh, fishermen. They're probably work, uh, hardworking guys. They love their families. Um, they even love God. They're looking for the Messiah. And they know that they need something. They know that they need a Savior. And so when Jesus comes along, they go, I think that's him. I think that's the one that I've been looking for. So you have them, and then you have the sinners and the tax collectors. And if you're not a Bible person, here's how this translates. Sinners and tax collectors are the prostitutes, the strippers, the drug dealers, the gangsters, and the pimps. Those are the sinners. That is quite a party. That has got to be a fun discussion that they're having. And so here we are with all of these people sitting at this table. And the thing that they have in common is not their lifestyle, not their economic status. The thing that they all have in common is they know that they need something. They know that they need help. They know that they need healing. And this is really good news for so many of us. See, Jesus sits at this table. And to sit at a table like this meant that not only was he comfortable with them, but they were comfortable with him. Because it's a pretty intimate thing to have somebody over for dinner. Now, I don't know what kind of family you grew up in, but in this context, uh, it was really intimate to invite somebody into your home and, and share a meal with them. That's kind of how I grew up. I remember when Amy and I first started dating, about two months into the relationship, she said, hey, why don't you come over to my house? We'll hang out and we'll, we'll have dinner. I said, okay, that sounds great. And so I show up, and she's got a pretty big family, and a couple of her sisters were, uh, I think one of her sisters was already married. And, and so Anyway, we sit down at the dinner table, and I quickly realized that it is the entire family and me, and I'm there for her father's birthday party. And I went, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. Because I'm not having you over until we're engaged. You don't even get to meet my family until then, okay? This is way too intimate. This is really scary. I text her on the way home like, we got to slow this down, okay? I am not ready for this kind of commitment. She's just going, what are you talking about? You came over for dinner, you know? And, and she came from a pastor's family like me, but her family would have people over every night. It was an open door. People were always coming in and out. So to have somebody over, not that big of a deal. But for me, incredibly intimate. I was like, I am not ready for this. And that's what's happening here, is Jesus goes into a very intimate setting, and they are, they are totally fine with Jesus, and he is totally fine with them, which is good news for a lot of us. One, it's good news because this means that you can never be too screwed up to be in a relationship with Jesus. He is hanging out and friends with the people who are on the very edge of society. These are the people who are out there, whose lifestyles are pretty chaotic. 
and yet he doesn't blink an eye. These are his friends. The other good news is that you don't have to believe in Jesus to follow Jesus. Now, that sounds controversial, and you're going, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure that's not biblical. Let me explain. As you look at the story of the calling of Matthew, for example, Matthew began to follow Jesus, and he follows him, but he doesn't yet believe in him. So when did, you, when did the disciples finally believe that Jesus was the Messiah? It was about two years into following him. They had to follow him around for a little bit and go, okay, who is this Jesus? What is he doing? What is he about? They got to experience Jesus. being really... So you can begin following Jesus before you even decided if Jesus is who he claimed to be. Now, eventually you're going to have to figure that out, but here's the good news. You can take baby steps right now in trying to figure out who Jesus is. You can go, all right, I'm going to investigate who this Jesus is. Maybe I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to see what his character is like. I'm going to see if these stories are true or if they're just fairy tales. I'm going to maybe try praying. I'm not even sure if there's a God out there listening, but I'm going to give it a shot and see what happens. So you can begin following Jesus before you believe in Jesus, which is really good news for us. Pharisees, of course, watch this whole thing, and they begin to flip out because they would never hang out with these people. This is like, this is, they're just in shock right now because here's what they thought. They thought hanging out with spiritually and morally corrupt people is kind of like hanging out with people who are physically contaminated. So if you think about their time, uh, one of the things was leprosy. And if you had leprosy, you weren't allowed to be in public places. And if you were ever around the general public, you had to yell out that you were a leper so that people could avoid you because you would give them your disease. You would contaminate them. Pharisees thought, well, this is kind of how the spiritual and moral realm work as well, is if I hang out with people who are morally and spiritually corrupt, they're going to contaminate me. Now, I normally don't do this, but I'm going to have to somewhat agree that the Pharisees have a point. Because think about it. The people that you hang out with, they, they do influence you. Like if I were to pick who my kids' friends are going to be, guess who they're not going to be? Them. If my wife says, I'm going out on girls' night, I'm going to go, not those girls. <laughs> right? Because the Bible even says that Bad company corrupts good character. And so they kind of have a point. You become who you hang out with. So how do, we, how do we make sense of this? There's this tension that we have to live in. And, and if, you haven't, um, if, you, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you realize that he challenges pretty much everybody, all perspectives, all views, and he makes you live in this tension that's sometimes uncomfortable. So in this circumstance, he comes along and he challenges the conservative Christian and he says, okay, you need to get out there and you need to stop being so judgmental. You need to love on some people. You need to care for those who are far away from me, who are very different from you. Let's go. But then he turns around to the liberal Christian and says, hold on. Because here's what the liberal Christian goes like this. Um, well, you know, <laughs> Jesus drank, so I drink. <laughs> and I want to say Jesus drank wine at dinner. Taking shots is not the same thing. <laughs> is you're really good at going and being with the people who are far away from God, except you look nothing like Jesus when you are with them. And so he challenges both views. He challenges the conservative and the liberal. And he says, you're going to have to live in the tension of being with these people and yet not being affected by these people. 
Because if you look at Jesus' schedule, it kind of looked in, in uh, kind of looked in maybe three different chunks. One is he's hanging out with these sinners, these rebels, these misfits, and he's trying to influence them. But then he's hanging out with his disciples, and he's, he's teaching them, and they're growing together. And then he also hangs out in solitude where he's talking to the Father. And so he lives in this balance, this tension of having all of these different uh, kind of chunks in his schedule. And he doesn't give us like a percentage. He goes, all right, listen, here's what you need to do. 50% here, 25% here, 25%. No, because he wants us to live in the tension and through prayer, discernment, and wise counsel, figure out, okay, what does this mean for me? How, how am I supposed to live in this space? Because if you're maybe in recovery, the place that you should not go is a local bar and evangelize. Not a good idea. And yet you still want to be able to bring change into those people's lives. And so what does it look like? I don't know what it looks like. It depends on you. It depends on your history. It depends on, on your maturity. But he wants us to seek him out and go, okay, God, what would you have for me to do? Who do you want me to influence? What does that look like? If we were to answer the question of uh, who did Jesus hang out with? Who did he party with? Who did he socialize? I think we can, we can confidently say anyone who is open to his mission anybody. He didn't care if they were blue-collar workers. He didn't care if they were uh, crazy, lifestyle, whatever. He just like, anybody who's open to hearing the message, who knows that they need something, knows that they need some help, that their life isn't quite right, I'm good. I'll go and have dinner at your house. Next question is, well, where did Jesus party? Well, wherever the sick people were. That's where Jesus went. So in this scene, we see that Jesus went to the tax collector's booth, probably not a popular spot. I don't visit the IRS very often. Go visit them, say, Matthew, I'm coming to your house. We're going to throw a party. I want you to invite all your friends, and I'm coming over. Why? Because that's where the sick people are. So I'm going to go where the sick people are. See, if you want to heal sick people, and this is true physically as well, is you have to get close to them. You cannot bring healing from afar. It has to be face-to-face. So uh, one of the things that we do around here is we take mission trips around the world in order to serve people. And so we go to Guatemala, and we go to uh, Uganda, and we go to India, and we go all over the place. And we sometimes do medical mission trips in which we will set up a uh, kind of a, a mobile doctor's office and treat people out in the middle of the bush. Now, you know what would not work very well? If we said, yes, I want to help those people, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you a link to WebMD with what I think is wrong with you from the comfort of my home. They would go, I don't, hmm, I don't know. I don't, that doesn't make sense. No. Why? Because we have to fly there. We got to set up shop. We got to be face to face and we have to go, okay, now where does it hurt? Tell me your story. How did you come to feel this? What, what, what's taking place in your life right now? Okay, here's how I think I can help. It only takes place in face to face relationships. And so the, uh, the implication for us, especially as believers, is very clear, is that we have to meet people uh, where they are at. Jesus doesn't just set up shop and go, healing here. And he rightfully could do that, right? He is offering healing for people. He could set up shop and go, okay, here's my tent. It says healing here. Everybody from far off, come near, and I will heal you. No, he doesn't do that. He goes to them. He goes and says, where are the sick people? I want to help the sick people. In fact, in uh, Luke 19, he says, I came to seek and to save the lost. Do you see that word right there, seek? That is active, not passive. That is not, I will sit here and wait for you. That is, I will seek you out and I will find you. Because there are hurting, broken, hopeless people, and I'm going to go to them and provide them the healing that they need. So the question is, why was Jesus the life of the party? 
Everywhere that Jesus went, he seemed to be the center of attention. Everybody wanted to be around him. They would open up roofs and drop friends into it. That is a real party. They, everybody wanted to be around you. They were, they were drawn to him. There was something magnetic about this Jesus character. And when we think of life of the party, we think he's popping bottles. He's buying up the bar for everybody. Woo! I don't think Jesus was doing that. I think there was something different. I think Jesus attracted people in a different way. Because I think what Jesus did was he gave people what they were actually looking for. When people go to social events or even just hang out with friends, it's because they're looking for something. All of us do it. We're looking for uh, relationships. Maybe it's to be loved and to be wanted. We're looking for relief from our stress and fear and pain. We want to belong. We want to have fun. And so we will go and try to find that in groups of people. Makes sense. But when Jesus is around, he gives them what they want to the infinite degree, to the maximal degree. He says, look, you're looking for relationships. I'm here. The ultimate relationship with the creator of the universe, the one that you've been longing for, that relationship can be found in me. You want to belong? Welcome to the kingdom. You want to have peace and you want to be free from these burdens? It's not going to be through whatever you drink and whatever you smoke. It's going to be through finding rest and peace in me. Peace in me. See, he ultimately gives what all of us are looking for when we go to these parties, to these events. So what does this mean for us? Verse 13, it says this, and he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, but go and learn what this means. So uh, it's kind of funny. When he says, go and learn what this means, what he's saying to the Pharisees is, who study all day, every day. They're constantly learning the scriptures, constantly trying to follow the law. He's really calling them out, and he says, go learn what this means. Kind of like, hey, you study so hard, I don't think you've quite learned yet. And then he quotes an Old Testament verse, which they would have been familiar with. He says this, he says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He goes, I don't think you've learned. I don't think you've read the Bible correctly. Because I am not content with just sitting around with people who behave right and and who, who believe the right things. And we just hold hands and sing kumbaya. That is not what I am interested in. I am here to change people's lives. And so I think as we look at the place in which, uh, in which we are, our context, our church, we have an opportunity in front of us. We have the power to change the trajectory of someone's entire life simply through a conversation or an invitation. One of the things that's been happening to me lately is uh, I have a uh, I, I get to pick up my daughter from school a couple days a week, and, and so I'll get there a little bit early, and I'll hang out, and there'll be, you know, moms and dads and grandparents coming in to pick up the kids, and there'll be a ton of kids running around, and I've just found something swelling up in me, and I'm not a, I, I'm not a super spiritual, holier than thou, like, oh, you know, dude, I am just trying to figure this out, and yet there's something that swells in me, and I just begin to pray and go, Lord, would you help us to reach these people? There's just something in me that just pulls, and I watch these little kids walk in, and I watch these parents who are just trying so hard to love on these kids and to provide for these kids and to, to make it in their careers and just trying to figure life out. And I'm like, Lord, would you help us as a church just, just be able to reach these people? Because as I watch these parents and these kids and these families, I'm reminded of myself because I went to those schools. I was that kid at one time. And I see what happens when people meet Jesus and they live a life for Jesus. And I see what happens when they don't. And it breaks my heart to think that these kids and these parents, these families, what they're going to face if they continue to try to do life on their own terms. 
broken relationships, divorce. When they get teenagers, they're going to be full of shame and regret because of the mistakes that they're going to make. I see the grief and the loss that they're going to experience. If they're anything like me, they may lose a handful of friends before the age of 21 to drugs and alcohol. And I watch this and these cute little kids and these parents who are working so hard, I go, Lord, just use us. Allow us to be a church that can just, that can reach these kids, that can reach these parents, that can reach this community with, with your love and your hope and introduce them into a relationship with you. Because I know that we have the power not because of who we are and because we're so great and because we're so smart, but because of who we know in Jesus, we can help them avoid those, those broken relationships. We can bring healing. We can save those marriages. We can have those kids have a new identity, a new purpose. They don't have to continuing, continue to ask if I'm enough and if I am somebody and if I am loved. Because here's what I heard recently. Uh, this last week, I heard a story about a senior in high school and because there was so much academic pressure, and I, I see this in, in our community, there's so much academic pressure for uh, us to succeed and get accepted into the right college and play all the right sports that as she was applying to colleges, she didn't get into the college in which she had been working so hard to get into. And because that's all she knew, because it was so much about academics and, and becoming a successful person that she just said, my life's over. That's it. There's nowhere to go from here. She took a bunch of pills and never woke up. And when I hear that, it breaks my heart because I want to grab students like that, kids like that, parents like that, and go, your life is so much bigger than what college you can get into. It is so much bigger than whatever job you may get one day, whatever success and failures in life you may have. And, and you don't have to wonder if you are enough because you are. You are a son. You are a daughter of the king. And so you can walk and be okay with failure because that's not what your life is about. Your life is about something far greater, a purpose that you have been created for. And so, yeah, you know, there's ups and downs in life, but you can take it. You know why? Because you have a Father in heaven who loves you. And see, we have that ability to bring that kind of hope and healing into our friends and family's life. I think our vision as a church is to be a place where we can invite those who who need to know Jesus, a place where people who don't consider themselves religious or their lives are a mess or just simply looking for an answer. It's a church in which they love to attend. They go, I don't know about Jesus. I don't know about God. I don't know about Christianity, but I like being at that place because there's something about that place. There's something interesting. They seem to have something figured out. I'm not fully bought into it yet, but I really like going there because it's different. It gives me some hope in life. One of the reasons why we did um, services backwards, and I think we're probably going to do them uh, from here on out for a little bit, is um, because I realized something. I got to visit a bunch of churches recently, and, and new people show up on time. It's the craziest thing. They haven't learned yet, right? They show up on time. And what happens is, because I did this, I show up on time, and service starts, and I look around, and I go, so where is everybody? Like, did I make a mistake? What happened here, you know? And then at the end of service, if we play a song and people are getting up and leaving, I'm like, are they protesting? Do they hate the song? I don't, I don't understand. I'm confused. See, here's what I want people who come here for the first time to experience. Look, I get it. You're a Christian, missing a couple worship songs. You still love Jesus, okay? I understand that. But it's not just about you. It's about the people who mustered up the 
courage to step into a church the first time and they're going, am I in a, am I in a okay place? Because I want them to walk in and see your smiling face and you just be so pumped and excited to be here that they're like, I think they've been waiting all week for this. Like, they're amped. This is crazy. I don't know about all this, but they seem to know about it. So, okay, let's check it out. See, it's not just about us. It's about the people who aren't here yet. It's about the people who need to be here, and we need to be ready for them. To come here, there is no qualifications and no expectations. You don't have to believe that God exists. You don't have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You can sit and relax. Your kids are taken care of. You get some good music, some free food. Cost you nothing. Actually, you guys pay for it, but it costs them nothing, right? And we just want them to go, okay, let me check this Jesus guy out. I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to investigate. I'm going to watch these people and see what they're about. And we say, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. If you're a Christian like me and you've been a Christian for a long time, um, you may need to get a new vision for your life and for this church. Because what happens is, I think Christianity is sort of like Christmas morning. Here's what happens. As you get older, um, Christmas morning kind of loses its excitement. Because when you were little, you were like, I'm so excited. I can't really sleep right now. This is so fun. Right? And you're running down the stairs like, presents! Right? And then as you get a little bit older, you're kind of like, ah, presents, I guess, yeah, I guess. And then by the time that you can actually purchase uh, things that are better than your presents, you're just like, oh, I don't know, man. I'm over it. Let's just sleep in today. Christianity can kind of be like that if we're being honest. Is you go, oh, yeah, Jesus, ah, creator of the universe. That was really nice of him. You know, I'm glad I'm a Christian. Um, whew. You know how you regain your excitement on Christmas morning? You know how? You have kids. That's right. You have kids. As soon as you have kids, you're like, it's Christmas. You're staying up late and making all their toys. You wake them up. You have to see what I bought you. You know, this is incredible. Wake up. Let's go. We got things to do. See, Christianity is the exact same way. You want to have that excitement? You want to have that fire that you once had when you first met Jesus? Introduce somebody else to Jesus. You will see it through their eyes and you will be reminded, dude, that is crazy. Like, the creator of the universe, I can know him. Like that, I don't have to do anything except receive this free gift of salvation. You're right. I have forgotten how crazy that is. You want to regain your fire? You want to be a passionate believer again? Then start seeing it through their eyes. Start inviting people into the process who are far away from Jesus. And as you walk with them, you will be reminded of your first love. It also takes us from being consumers to contributors. Whenever you have somebody over at your house... You begin to see the mess that your kids have left in the house, and you begin to see the disaster. You go, okay, we've got people coming over. We need to clean this up, and we need to get fixed this. Oh, my gosh, we've got to paint. And in fact, uh, I'll be honest, we sometimes throw parties at our house just so we will get things done. <laughs> just so we'll clean stuff up, because we're like, we're going to be forced to clean this up if we have a party, so let's just throw a party. <laughs> Same thing is true when you invite people to church, by the way. Because you'll show up here, and you'll be like, oh, my gosh, there's some trash on the ground. Okay, we need to fix that. And, oh, I bet you I could help with this. And you become a person who contributes to the mission instead of someone who shows up and goes, no, it's daylight savings today. It's raining. What kind of dessert are they going to give me? <laughs> Cinnamon rolls. Um, <laughs> because you've got a friend coming. And you want them to love this place as much as you love this place. And so you're willing to do whatever it takes in order to make it a great experience. So uh, Easter's coming up, and there are two times of the year 
that your friends and family are expecting you to invite them to church. Christmas and Easter, they're offended if you don't invite them. They say no every year, but they're still waiting for you to ask. Because <laughs> it shows you care, and they know that you care about it, and you care about them, and so they're going, all right, you're going to ask me this year? See, as a, uh, as a church person, um, I, I think about inviting people to church and sharing my faith and things like that, and I'm like, oh, that's so, like, oh, it, it gives me a little bit of anxiety, I'll be honest. I'm a pastor, it's easier for me because I go, I'm a pastor, and they go, you want me to go to church, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> but yes, we have to make the big ask. It is what we do. We have to ask people to come and see, to come and experience what we are experiencing. And I know some of you guys are like, I just, I don't know, man. That's terrifying to me. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an icebreaker. Now, if you're single, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, icebreakers are the most difficult part about talking to the opposite sex. Because you can't just walk up to them and be like, I think you're pretty. <laughs> I think you're pretty. <laughs> no, you need something to break the ice, right? So we can start dialoguing a little bit. And then they can realize how weird I am. But not off the bat. And so I want, to, uh, I want to give you an icebreaker. Here's what we've done. We purchased hundreds of gift cards. Hundreds of gift cards for you guys. And we want you to take a gift card, probably to a local coffee spot or something like that. I want you to put it in your purse or in your wallet, and I want you to think about who you need to take to coffee, who you need to take to grab a burger with, whatever it may be, and invite them to church. And you can blame it fully on us. That's okay. I don't know them. It doesn't matter to me. You can call me names. I don't care. Just invite them. And tell them, hey, here's the deal. My church gave this out to me. Jesus is watching, so I can't use it on myself. <laughs> Every time I open up my purse or my wallet, I see this thing just staring at me, and I know what I'm supposed to do. And so the only thing that I was required to do was to just see if you want to come to church with me. Cool? That's it. That's all I have to do. And that's all you got to do. Say, hey, you interested in coming to church with me? No? Okay, great. Free drink. Bing. Done. And then you bring back that gift card after you've invited somebody, you had coffee with them, whatever. Write their name on it. Bring it back. We're going to have a huge kind of thing that we're going to put out in the lobby with all these people's names that we've invited. And they may or may not come, but we're going to pray over it. As a staff, we're going to pray. As a church, we're going to pray. We're just going to believe that God is, is working in their lives. And so the last question I have is this. Do you know what hangs in the balance of your willingness to extend an invitation? Do you know what hangs in the balance of your willingness to extend an invitation. No, you don't. Either do I. It could be nothing. You could have that conversation. You invite them and they just go, no, not interested. And you go, okay, hey, it's worth a shot. You got a free drink out of it. Or it could be something that totally turns their world upside down. It could be something that you would have never expected to take place. It changes them. It changes their family. That's, that's my story. Is uh, My great-grandparents were not believers, and a lady came and invited my great-grandmother to a church service. She was not a church person at all. She decided to go, changed her family. It changed our family. It changed thousands of people's lives because of one invitation. And so this week, um, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to make the big ask, to fight the apathy and to fight the anxiety and the fear and the busy, crazy schedules and to simply invite somebody to your church to hear about your Savior. And maybe, maybe God will do something crazy and he'll speak to them and it'll become their church and 
and their Savior. And it's all because of a simple invitation. Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we thank you for being a God who, who cares enough about us to come and to find us, to seek us out. Even in the midst of our own craziness and we're a mess and we're a disaster and we are so far from you, you continue to seek us out and to look for us and to call us into a relationship with you. And Lord, you ask us to partner with you in that process, to be people who are constantly thinking about those who are not here yet, to be people who are inviting people who are out there looking to bring hope and healing into the friends and family and the community's life, Lord God. And Lord God, we believe that you change everything, that you bring forgiveness, that you bring hope, that you bring healing. And so we come and we gather and we worship and we pray that you would, you would show us who it is in our life, that you would open that door so that we could in, just make a simple invitation, a simple ask, have a simple conversation with the hopes that you will enter into their life like you have in ours and change everything. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.